Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for matchsticks and gasoline. The Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. It's Mark, Gordy, and Michael on this, can we say it, Super Bowl Sunday? Are we allowed to say that word or do we have to call it the big game? Does anybody really care? This is a hockey podcast anyway. So, uh, gentlemen, how are we this afternoon? Absolutely frozen. <laughs> I think we're all getting some sort of weather snow right now, right? <laughs> You know, minus 30, nice dump of snow, good uh, good Super Bowl Sunday. All right, well, if you win, it's all, it's about mid-30s here and snowing, so uh, you win. <laughs> I don't know if that's a battle you want to win. Michael, how are you today? Uh, also very cold. I went ice fishing yesterday, and I'm still, like, thawing out, like, 24 hours later, so not pretty chilly as well here. Excellent. Well, we're all in the same boat. Fantastic. Maddie's probably basking in that nice, warm Philadelphia sun right now. Actually, I don't think if there's anything you could bask in in Philadelphia, and I don't think anything about Philly is warm. So that whole statement is just null and void. Battle of Alberta last night. Calgary Flames, 6-4 winners over the Edmonton Oilers. Um, first off, as Michael and I were just discussing, how good did they look last night with Blasty coming back? The black helmet. The black chin strap actually works this time, right, Gordy? Matches the uniform, matches the helmet. It's a nice little setup. Uh, jerseys, the pants, everything. I think they looked awesome last night. Thoughts? Oh, they're they're just so nice. I mean, you, you couldn't really appreciate some of the more subtle parts of the uniform until they were out there all complete. I mean, the the piping on the sleeves and the bottom of the jersey is, I mean, so much nicer than that huge like swatch of red that was on the original and the the pedestal uh nod on the pants yeah they're just they they looked so good out there michael did you have your rasmus anderson <laughs> one on last night yeah i could i could watch those jerseys like 56 games a year honestly and not get tired of them they're just every time you look at them you kind of just fall in love with them again it's just absolutely gorgeous and I, I said earlier this year they might not win every game this year, but we we're, we can be pretty confident saying they're going 56-0 in the uniform matchups. Yeah, there aren't three better. I mean, well, they'll, they'll go 55-1 and because they were the, the stupid ones from last year. You know, the, the they, what do they call them there? They're the, the retro. They're now the throwback, you know, those ugly red jerseys they've been wearing forever now. But, yeah, I think, you know, going with the – and as Derek Wills calls them, he still calls them the retro white and the retro red. They're not the current red and current white because that's what they're wearing. And Blasty, they just look fantastic. I think my favorite part of them is I love the big white block number with the thin red outline. It just, bam, it explodes off the back of the black jersey. I think I'm so excited to see like guys like Gaudreau and Lindholm and Giordano and Backlund in that jersey because they just look fantastic i just they're awesome i i know there are some people out there that they hate the flaming demon horse but i'm sorry if you don't like blasty you're just wrong that's just how it works um so we want to talk actual actual hockey unless anybody else wants to cover anything else about uh, the uniforms although it would be kind of cool i know they can't do it because you can't change like the center ice logo but how cool would it be to have blasty at center ice that would be amazing <laughs> but okay. so hockey talk um calgary got 56 seconds into the game Looked like a completely different hockey team. They came out flying. Uh, beautiful goal 
by um, Lindholm to get us all started. And then all of a sudden things started to go hairy again in the first period. Uh, Gordy, what did you see that looked, uh, what do you think caused the Flames to fall apart in the final 19 minutes of the first period? I, I'm, and I was, I'm glad you brought that up because I think the the end result of last night's game perhaps overshadowed like maybe the worst first period of the season that one in Vancouver was pretty ugly. And I mean, it's it's getting to a point of concern now where it's how is this team just just not ready to go? Because you can say they scored, you know, 56 seconds in. But that's, a, that's a horrible goal. Like it's a unscreened, you know, it's not even a slap shot really and it goes in. So you can't even really count that as like a good start either. So I, I'm not sure who's in charge of getting this team ready, but having we're only 11 games into the season and they've played two games now where they've had sub three shots and their team has had 15 plus shots in a period. And, and in all honesty, the two teams that happened against Edmonton and Vancouver are at this point in time, two of the three bottom teams of this division. Michael, your thoughts on last night's first period. I mean, you know, the goal early on was nice. I agree with Gordy. If there was any sort of competent goaltender in the, between the pipes last night for Edmonton, that, that shot doesn't go in. But the one that I think bugged me the most was McDavid's power play goal. Uh, how, how do you leave Connor McDavid sitting there on the doorstep in a power play with nobody on him? Michael, uh, your, your thoughts on maybe that and your takeaways from that first period. Yeah, I found the first period, just like Gordy said, they scored early, which was great to at least give them that bit of the edge. But thank goodness they had it because after that, things kind of just fell off. I think a lot of it, like you said, had to do with giving the Oilers three power plays in that first period. And, like, frankly, if you can only let the Oilers score on one out of three power plays, like, you're getting pretty lucky with how lethal they can be. But, yeah, you, you can't leave David open. That's pretty obvious. I thought they had the right idea. He was pretty far the outside, but as soon as he can get those couple steps even into the circles there, he can just rip those shots all day and uh, beat Markstrom. But, yeah, I thought as a whole the first period was, like, I don't want to say it was to be expected, but we've just gotten so used to this team having one period of night where they're just, they don't even look like an NHL team. They look like the Senators could beat them. And then luckily they turned it around uh, towards the end of the game there. Yeah. And I mean, despite all of that stuff, you know, going into after the first 20 minutes, you're only, you're down, you're only luckily down two to one when you've been outshot 17 to three um, and penalty wise. I mean, you know, you take two, two in the first period, like, Nordstrom at that point, I'm like, dude, stop. T-. Every time he came on the ice, I'm like, this is a penalty. They're definitely going on the power play because it seemed like every time Nordstrom hopped the boards, the whistle blew and he was skating over to the penalty box. Uh, but the fact that they were able to kill off four out of five is pretty good when Edmonton's only power play goal comes in that first period. But um, who had Milan Lucic being the, um, the, the fuel that drove the engine last night to turn this game around? Anybody? <laughs> Lucic comes out three minutes into the second period, gets a goal. Um, and then Michael Backlund scores one. And then all of a sudden you see that momentum. And if we could just jump to something for a minute, he's one of my favorite players on the team and it's been tough to watch him so far, but how good did Michael Backlund look last night? Um, three point night for him, a goal two assists. But what I noticed most about him, I thought he played so well when he was on the ice shadowing McDavid all night long. Um, hung with him all night, had a good stick on him, never really gave up anything. I mean, the breakaway that McDavid had is he went around Giordano and, and Tanev. So that, you know, that's not on Backlund. But I thought Backlund had a really good game last night, especially with who he was matched up with. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I was just going to say kind of to both your points on Backlund and Lucic. Like, I thought 
together they formed a pretty good duo with uh, Andrew Mangiapane. I thought that whole line looked really good, and like those Mangiapane and Backman are two players who can really carry Lucic at five on five. Like I thought they fit well, but then uh, yeah, to get to your point with Backman, like before last night, I was kind of at the point where it's like, all right, what's he kind of going to be this year? Because he's really not done much, but he seems like the kind of guy that when he's given a bigger task or a bigger role, like he just absolutely shines and like. I thought last night was one of Backman's like perhaps best games ever. Like he was putting up some points, like every shift, whether it was PK or power play, even strength, he looked super engaged out there. And he was just always around the puck and challenging the Oilers uh, to get the puck back. If he didn't have it, I was very impressed by him. Yeah. Gordy, you have anything to add to that or kind of similar thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the story with Backlund every year at this point, and I think he's even mi- admitted it himself. It's that he, he starts off slowly every season for whatever reason, and then, you know, last year he went 30 and 30 down the stretch to yeah. finish the season or something. So if if a game like last night is the start of his reemergence and his, his waking up that he goes through every season, then I think it's a, a really good sign. I've watched I watched that replay of his goal 30 times and I still can't see the puck between Koskinen's legs and just watching a lot of hockey, playing a lot of hockey, you know, when a guy's making a second effort play like that on a, on a play where it looks like he's been stopped by the goalie on a two on one. And he just takes that extra chip and it goes in that that's, those are just the little signs when, you know, somebody's feeling it, somebody is engaged in a game and that's really important for him. Yeah, that was a great point, too. Like, Cassie Campbell brought that up on the broadcast last night. She was like, most players, nine times out of ten, I don't, that's not the exact quote, but I'm kind of riffing it there. She's like, just skate by the net on that play because the goalie makes the save, where Backlund just kept going at it. And it was a real subtle. When they had the camera above the goal, you could see the puck just kind of going through Koskinen's legs, and Backlund tips it in. So, yeah, smart play on him by just continuing to hustle and fight for the puck, you know, doing something Kachuk does, creating that little scrum, you know, or staying with the puck on the net instead of just skating around and being like, well, we'll get him next time. So, and you know, you come to the third period of, you know, Puliarvi opens up with a goal that kind of make things a little hairy, but then Dylan Dubé scores and gives us probably the greatest gif of the NHL season. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> Someone on Twitter was like, did he just sniff his own fart? Like, what is that face he made? I'm like, hey, I love it. I think Dubé, I mean, we were talking about this last night during the, the little chat that we had going. Like, I think, I mean, Manchupani's, uh, Shane brought up that he's had the better stats and the better percentages and everything lately. But I think Dubé has been one of the most dangerous flames lately. Um, Gordy thoughts on that. Yeah. I think that little injury he had where he missed two or three games or whatever, kind of, kind of cooled people's opinions off on him. But like, I think we've already forgotten how he performed in the playoff. Like we're, we're right in the midst of the Dylan Dubé breakout. And I think, you know, he got benched that one game and he's, he's had a couple bad plays but i mean that that's a not a great angle for a slap shot that he's ripping there and the celebration like he's he's full of confidence after those playoffs and if you can add another legitimate winger centerman forward whatever to that to the kind of four guys we expect to be the top forwards on this team i think you know he's he's really coming into his own as a player he's not he's not a bubble player anymore and it's going to be a really exciting year for him I mean, speaking of guys that should be in the top four, Michael, Johnny Gaudreau, uh, two points in the third period. He uh, he had the 5-4 goal, and then he assisted that other guy there, Bennett, on uh, his uh, goal, the final one of the game. Um, Johnny Gaudreau, uh, two points against the Oilers in the third period and got behind Connor McDavid. McDavid didn't pick him up. He had the breakaway, didn't go five-hole. 
beautiful wrist shot, top corner, beats Costin and glove side. Um, good study out of Johnny Gaudreau in a big game against a team like Edmonton, right, Michael? Yeah, um, I thought he had a pretty good game as a whole. Like he wasn't quite; they weren't going quite as well as like the back of the line or even the uh, Lindholm line. But again, he's just been steady throughout this whole season, like steady, solid games for the most part. And uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what the Oilers were doing, uh, leaving McDavid back there alone to defend a guy. But um, I guess he already does everything else for them. He might as well play defense too. But like. <laughs> He's just been so impressive to start the season. Like, even that goal, he was, like, near the end of the shift, but he just ripped it. And, again, Koskin probably should have had that. But, you know, when you're hot, things are going in. And uh, Gaudreau's been pretty hot so far this year. He also had some really good back-checking last night. Um, He had a stick in the lane a couple times to break up some passes. I think we're seeing, like, almost not – he'll never be a complete defensive player, right? I think we can all agree. Gordy, what do you think? Oh, sorry. I, I, you cut out a little bit there. I don't think I heard the end of that sentence. Oh, no, I was just saying, uh, do you guys think that Goudreau is like, he'll never be a complete fully defensive player, but I think his defensive game has gotten is light years above what it's been since he came into the league. Oh, for for sure. And there's no, there's no reason for him to be a defensive forward. Hockey is a, is a game of roles and every player has their role. There's fourth lines, third lines, power plays for, for a reason. And, yeah. You know, every player has to, you know, be be completely, you know, well-rounded to a certain extent. And Gaudreau is pulling his weight, I think, in all all aspects of the game right now. And that's that's huge for the Flames. So uh, anybody have any extra thoughts on the Battle of Alberta? I mean, it's only game one and it was I don't think it was as physical as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't. I mean, there were some scrums. Kachuk got in a few things. But otherwise, I think, you know, the Flames played for the most part after the first period, the game they probably wanted to play for two periods. Um, You know, so maybe, you know, you pack in a better first period and, you know, maybe things get better for them. But um, as a whole, that was a pretty entertaining game, I would think, for game one of uh, the Battle of Alberta. Yeah, 10-goal games are fun. They're just as fun as punch-ups and uh, yeah it's going to be a great 10 games this year michael anything you want to add to that i mean i thought it was a little bit lame that it got, got kind of nerfed with like roughing penalties and stuff like that. i thought it was gonna be a bit more of a wild game but like like you said 10 goals i think we'll take that any day of the week and uh the flames beat the oilers so i mean that's always a good night doesn't matter really what else happens yeah, what did Markstrom say? It doesn't matter how good I am as long as I let in one less goal than the guy at the <laughs> other end. <laughs> like, I like that attitude. He's like, I, we, I give up seven as long as we score eight. Who cares? You know, like stats really don't matter in those games. Well, speaking of people who have been outspoken, or maybe not him as much as his agent, uh, the Sam Bennett situation. Um, I'm sure there are people that are going to be thumping their chest for the top six minute, uh, top six, you know, minutes Sam Bennett after his goal last night. But, um, you know, Bennett's agent, you know, says he wants to change the scenery. He wants to be out. Bennett's never said anything. Uh, Bennett finally came out in the media the other day, kind of snarky about how the Flames kind of played games with him by putting him on the taxi squad, you know, and not dressing him and not telling him, which like I I think everybody who's either read something at this website or listened to this podcast knows I'm not a big Sam Bennett fan. But I think what the Flames kind of did to him there was kind of a dink move. Um 
what's uh michael your thoughts what's what's going on with bennett what's going to happen with bennett is scoring a goal going to up his trade value is this something that is this going to last all season or are they going to make a move sooner than later i mean at this point with ryan out um i think at this point the flames can't really make that trade right now just because like when we saw who they had in their fourth line last night like this team just doesn't have quite enough depth right now once they get an injury or two that they can really afford to send more guys out and like in the meantime, I think you got to keep Bennett kind of in that. Even if you want to keep working Jerome Monahan, I think you got to keep him somewhere in your lineup. It'll up his trade value. And um, yeah, I've always been kind of on the same camp as you, where it's like I'd be fine trading him. Like I thought they should have traded him after the playoffs last year when his value was super high. But like for now, I say you kind of just hold on to him. If someone presents like a great offer for him, maybe you take it. But then I think you kind of just keep rolling with him where he is. He seems like he's not being a real issue with his trade request. Like, he's still being professional about it. He's still playing pretty hard. He's just, um, he wants to change his scenery, and I can respect that. But I think it's not like a pressing issue at this point. Gordy, what do you think of that? Is this something that's going to get resolved soon? Maybe when Derek Ryan comes back? Or is Sam Bennett in here for the long haul because he scored one goal on the top line last night? Yeah, the the Bennett debate is it's one that's just kind of you're just gonna go in circles over and over because if if he's not a fourth overall pick, he's just a replacement level guy. He's just a guy like if you request a trade, it it, it means nothing essentially. Like it's and and the whole requesting a trade is just so shrouded in mystery. Like we don't even know if a trade has that legitimately been requested, and then the the yeah. flames are you know playing games for whatever reason i don't know why you'd want to create any kind of tension in your locker room no matter who it is it's a it's kind of a you know not a great move to bestow on your own players so you know whatever the resolution to this is personally i don't mind bennett he plays a a, his own role he plays a game a lot of guys don't play on the flames so you know, the return for him is nothing is not going to be anything special. So anyone who's just super eager to, you know, get him out of the door, it's like, okay, well, like you get Victor Mete in return and Mete sits on the bench as the seventh defenseman again. It's yeah. And so it's just kind of a moot point at the end of the day for me, honestly. Yeah, I think it's one of those scenarios where if you did trade Bennett, you're gonna get Sam Bennett back. Mm-hmm. You're not getting an upgrade over him from another team. And I, I wrote a column, I think it was last year. I said it was something titled like it's finally just it's time to accept Sam Bennett is what he is. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to forget you got to put the thing that he was the fourth overall pick, the highest draft pick in Flames history. And I'm sure Brad Trey Living is hanging on to that because he can't get rid of his highest draft pick ever, you know, his boy. But at the same time, you know, if Bennett is what it is, it is. That means it's just bad drafting on the Flames for taking a player that high who isn't going to pan out to be a guy who should be as talented as he should be for being picked that high. So if he is what he is, you know, I mean, I mean, I always come back to the fact that if Bennett Bennett should be getting top six minutes, he should be showing somewhere that he belongs in the top six. And I don't think he's really shown that over his career. And that doesn't mean he's horrible. It just means he's not a top six player, you know? And then I think we could probably leave it at that unless somebody else wanted to chime in. Well, and in just in defense of his draft position, I think there was, you know, talk at the time that Bennett was going to be the top pick at a certain point or a top three mm-hmm. pick. And, you know, Oilers fans throw the Dreisaitl, Bennett, Kachuk, Kuli, Arby comparison, but the Oilers took Dreisaitl before the Flames had a chance. So it's really not the same thing at all. And I, and personally, I would rather have Sam Bennett over Jake Vertanen or Michael Dalcole or, you know, it was a weak draft. It's not, it's not really a, 
in, in my opinion, they did the best they, they could at that position. It's like one of those NFL drafts where you take David Klingler. <laughs> so number one pick a quarterback just because you have to take somebody and he's not there. So, well, which I just compared Sam Bennett to Dave Klingler. Okay. All right. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break here on the Tinderbox. When we come back, we're going to go over some uh, reader questions. And uh, Michael has a little exercise he asked the fans for, so we'll uh, check in on that when we come back on the Tinderbox. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. It's Mark Gordy and Michael here this afternoon. We covered the Battle of Alberta, the Sam Bennett saga. And we're going to hop into a couple of reader questions. Um, Facebook had a couple of good ones. And one of the ones actually on Facebook kind of goes back to the um, the Derek Ryan situation. I want to find the guy's name. Um, now, whatever. The question was, why is Derek Ryan still on this team? And to me, I was like, well, you know... That was a Twitter question. I'm sorry about that. But why is Derek Ryan not still on this team? And up until getting hurt, um, Derek Ryan is the Flames' best faceoff guy, uh, which, you know, considering who they have that takes faceoffs, Ryan is clocking in at 58.6%, which was by far the best outside of Lucic and Dubé, who have taken five faceoffs and won three. <laughs> so I don't really count that as a look, but he's better than Lindholm. He's better than Monaghan. He's better than Backlund. I mean, Derek Ryan, like when he's healthy, still serves a role on this team correct it's a role that's you know like you said face-offs are you know more analyzed and more useful than ever so for sure winning face-offs is a huge thing at the moment I, I i see where he's coming from the flames have a kind of a glut of bottom six forwards and guys that can kill penalties but i mean he's in the last year of his contract he's you know he's a great guy he's got familiarity with the team i don't really see why you'd want to be running Derek Ryan of all people out of town. Yeah. Michael, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I think Derek Ryan, he, he is what he is. He's a fine bottom six guy. He kills some penalties. I think um, last couple of years, he's had like 30 some odd points. Like obviously with his contract, 3 million, it's like a bit much for what you'd offer a bottom six guy. But like he, he seems to do fine with where he's at. He, kind of seems to really hold that bottom six together when he's playing his game and um yeah i don't really have much more to add on that like i think he has a defined role in this team i think he's better than what we saw in there last night and um i just hope they can get him back sooner rather than later i know he has to be out for at least like 10 games or three weeks or something like that but uh yeah i think he's solid for what we need him to bring to the team Mike McLaughlin on Facebook asked us, you know, at what point does upper management address how lackluster this team really is? He means by ownership. So I'm guessing he's talking, you know, is this the end for Brad for living and Jeff Ward, but to address like the team itself on the ice. Um, I think we go back to the fourth line that played last night. Um, we had Zach Ronaldo, you had uh, Byron phrase and who else is on that? Was that Nordstrom? Was that the final piece yeah. of that? that nightmare fourth line. Like I said, the fourth line doesn't have to be a dynamo delivering you, you know, three points a night, but you got to have some sort of threat out there. And none of those guys, I think are a threat to do anything other than, you know, rough things up and fight a little, which Calgary didn't need last night. Um, 
and I know he's not on the taxi squad, but what's it going to take to get a guy like Glenn Godden to come up a shot there or a Matthew Phillips, somebody or Buddy Robinson, any of those guys to come up and maybe provide some speed and some scoring touch on the bottom four line. Gordy, is, is it too early to be looking at some of those guys to come up seeing what we saw last night or is it time to maybe throw a guy on the taxi squad that hasn't been there? Yeah, there's there's definitely some perhaps confusing would be the best word to use like decisions going on from the flames coaching staff. I, I don't know how you in any world determine that, you know, no disrespect to him, but that Byron phrase is going to have a better game than Josh Levo. And if you're taking Levo to the game, I'm a hundred percent with you. Like, like give Glenn Godden or Matthew Phillips, like a shot. Neither of them have even touched the ice under this management and yeah, it's 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 a little confusing to be sure. I'm I'm not sure why Dominic Simone has gotten as much time as he's gotten on the first line. So there there might be a little bit of veteran bias as a lot of coaches show. But yeah, no disrespect to either of them, but I I don't really see why Zach Ronaldo or Byron Fraser ever getting in the lineup. Don't make him mad. He's going to call us out, <laughs> Michael. What do you think? I, I'm 100% with Gordy. Like, I think if you're making changes to the bottom six, which, like, the Ryan injury kind of creates, um, I would like to see Gordon get a chance in there. Like, he's had a couple of good years now in the AHL. I think he's kind of pushing. Like, I imagine next year if they don't bring back Ryan, which I wouldn't be surprised if they did, that he kind of slots into that bottom six center to replace him. But, um, yeah, it's like you're fine with Ronaldo, Fraze, Nordstrom as your fourth line, but... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like they almost like barely played last night. So it's like, what's the point of even putting together a fourth line like that if you're going to play them? Like, I wouldn't even imagine probably they played more than like six or seven minutes total. And I know Nordstrom had a bit of PK time, but other than that, like even strength, they probably only played a few minutes last night. Like, if it's up to me, I'm giving God in a shot. I'd even consider giving guys like Matthew Phillips a shot if you're just uh, if you're going to staple your fourth line to the bench anyways. Might as well get some young guys some ice time. Yeah, get them a little experience. So, all right, that should cover the reader questions. The rest of them were kind of, yeah, they were, you know, the usuals. So, uh, Michael, uh, you had an exercise here. Was it the top, the, the three flames that really needed to, like, was it improve their game? Or why don't you intro it? It's what you were, uh, what you put out there to the, our readers. Yeah, so I'll pretext this by saying I threw it up on Friday before last night's game. But basically, I just asked people um, who were three flames that really needed to step their game up so far this season. Like, uh, guys who are either disappointed or guys who just weren't playing well so far. And uh, I'll let you guys maybe start thinking about your three, but I'll run through some of the consensus answers from those who responded. And it seems to be it before last night again, I'll remind you, it was uh, Michael Backlund seemed to be like one of the biggest ones. Like uh, we'd already talked about a bit on this podcast earlier, but uh, he just really hadn't been doing much to start the season, but I think he shot that down pretty well last night. We also had uh, Matthew Kachuk surprisingly got quite a few responses. People think he's been kind of a loose cannon since that Leafs game, which I would uh, tend to, to tend to agree with. And then I think a pretty obvious one for everyone has been uh, Geo so far. I don't know if that's him not playing well or kind of just taking that step back we expected him to take. But um, I don't know, Mark, do you have uh, three players in mind that you might think still need to step up this year? Yeah, I think uh, two out of those three actually would have been on my list right off the bat. And one was Michael Backlund. And like, he's kind of like my de facto favorite flame on the team right now. So like, it kind of hurts me to say that, but you can look at his game and up until last night, it just wasn't there. So I'm hoping that's the turning point for him. Um, 
I would definitely go Mark Giordano. If I have to watch him take one more wrist shot from the blue line that sails 30 feet wide of the net and hits the organist, like I, it's like, it's not working for him. And I get it. He's taking a step back a little bit. You know, Rasmus Anderson is doing a lot more of the, the heavy lifting, but he's as the captain and as an elder statesman on the team, they need more out of him. Um, and also uh, my third would be Sean Monahan. I just feel like he started the season hot and he's gone back into that invisible Sean Monahan. Like I don't really remember much of anything he did last night. And that's not just like last night. It would have come before Friday. I just, Monahan's stats look good, but I feel like they're just there. It's not like a he's not wowing you or doing a lot to uh to get you in there. So mine would be Backlin, would have been Backlin, Monahan, and Giordano. How about you, Gordy? Yeah, I'll, I think the only one I'll I'll pile on, I guess, just to, it, it's got to be Giordano, and uh, it's it's sad to say because I I I've really enjoyed his story yeah. as an undrafted defenseman, but. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's borderline tough to watch some shifts now. I mean that that delay game penalty, like he's completely unpressured, no reason to bounce it off the glass, and he shoots it like into the jumbotron practically, <laughs> and that's that's the power play they score on. And I I, I just it's a, it's plays like that. He's caught flat footed a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, David went around him like a pylon last night, just yeah. <laughs> right to the net. Yeah, I think yeah. I think McDavid thought Giordano tripped him actually when he got up. He looked like he was going right at Giordano, even though I think it was Tanev that might have yeah. made some contact with him. And then my second one I'd say would be David Riddick. I know he's not as much scrutinized as he is because he's not in any sense the starter anymore. But in my opinion, that like that's got to be his recipe for being better. The the guys played his best when there's zero expectation on him. When he's some yeah. no name check guy breaking into the NHL, he's you know he wins his however first many NHL games, and you know he's he's that absolute bona fide backup that might play every five or six games. And so far, his two performances have just been he he's got to be better, even though he's the backup. And then. For the third, I, I would I'll just say the whole bottom six as a whole. There hasn't been very much random forward scoring so far. Like it's all kind of the same guys scoring over and over. Like you need guys like Levo, Simone, Ryan. Like all these guys, I think need to find a way to at least one of them stick out from the others because they're all just kind of a congealed blob of bottom six at the moment. Gotcha. No, those all make sense, Michael. Are you sticking with what yeah. the, the readers had? Do you got a you got a three, right? Yeah. Again, I think I would also have to do Giordano. Like, um, I will give him maybe some benefit of the doubt and say, like, maybe with older guys, like, not having a preseason might have hurt him a bit if he couldn't get quite up to speed. But we're, I think, eleven games in now. Like, at some point, we need to see like some form of better hockey from him, especially even with guys like Noah Hannafin, who's just been a complete revelation this year, and even Yusuf Valamaki now, really starting to take some strides. Like. Uh, I think we need to see more out of him. In terms of the forward core, like uh, just really who's ever on the right wing of Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan needs to be providing them something. Like Sam Bennett, even though he scored that goal, like he didn't do much. Like We need to see something more out of that position if the Flames are going to be successful. And then, yeah, for my third guy, I probably would have gone with Backlund as well, but I think I would also go with like Josh Levo because I personally had higher hopes for him. I thought he was going to be kind of the guy that kind of kept everything together, not like second and third line kind of like that glue guy in the lineup but he's just been like Gory said kind of you couldn't pick one of the, the five bottom six guys really out 
from each other if you were watching just a random flame team. Like, they've all been pretty useless and well, not useless, but they've been pretty undistinguishable from each other so far this season. They need to be better if the Flames want to, like, kind of jump into that upper echelon of teams in the North Division. No, I think all of those, I think I think everybody's points make sense, which just shows the Flames need to do some work because there's a lot of different varying opinions on who needs to step up, and it just shows that Calgary as a team just needs to be better. Uh, we got like six minutes left. You want to touch on something real quick here? And um, it's, Michael, you mentioned readers suggested Matthew Kachuk. Has being and becoming the instigator, the pest, the agitator, the whole nine, and trying to be a dynamic offensive player, has it finally gotten to Kachuk? Because like he definitely like he's been out of control in a couple games this season where he just doesn't look himself. Um, is is that role becoming a burden on him, maybe, or is just something that's just going on with him right now? I think for uh, Kachuk, like I'll give him some benefit of the doubt. Like I said, he's done this pretty well throughout his career, but ever since that Leafs game, he just seems like. It's, he always did well at kind of managing being the pest on the ice. Like, he would get in a scrum, but then turn around the next shift and score. Mm-hmm. Like, this year, it almost seems like he's just trying to find the scrums at this point. I don't know if it's trying to get him back into the game, but um, I think Shane was telling us his numbers across the board have gone down since that game. Like, he just doesn't quite seem to be the same guy. He seems like the scrums and the physicality part has kind of gotten to his head where he feels like he has to be the guy, not just, like, the guy doing it, but also the guy causing it all. It seems to just be taken away from his uh, play on the ice. Yeah, to compare him to somebody, it's like Brad Marchand knows how to tow that line and can do both and plays really well. That's something maybe Kachuk needs to not model his game specifically after that, but learn how to be able to do both like he's done in the past. Gordy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with what Mike said, actually. It just seems like Kachuk is almost like trying to force himself to play the game he usually does. I mean, I'm not sure why he's... Uh, you know, trying to trade punches with William Legison. Like he, he typically he's kind of picking and choosing the guys he's engaging with. And, you know, the seventh or sixth defenseman on the Oilers is kind of a strange choice for him. And his reaction to the puck flip I, I, caught me off guard because his whole game is, you know, getting under somebody else's skin and, you know, not letting them get under his. So I, I don't know what's what's going on with him. I, I know for a fact that playing the way he does and causing the scrums and stuff that he's known for, it's tough without fans. Like it's tough to be in a punch vest in the bottom of the net and it's just silence while you're, you know, doing your business. So I, I think he, he personally, if I had to guess, I'd say the fans were having an effect on him, but his his actual hockey play is you know, I think he's a little bit like Backlund where he heats up as it goes on. So I haven't had too much of a problem with Kachuk. Perfect. Yeah, I think so too. I just, I would like to see him get back to that player that's causing the nonsense as opposed to the player reacting to the nonsense. Um, Cause he did have that, that, you know, we had his 98th and his 99th goals in a game. So it's not like he's that far off. I think it's just, I, I think the lack of crowd probably hurts some of these things. Like these rivalries would be so much better. Like that crowd last night would have been absolutely bananas in that game. So, all right, well, let's going to uh, wrap it up here on the tinderbox as we look at the flames upcoming schedule. Uh, Got the Winnipeg Jets coming in again. Yay. So sick of seeing the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Calgary gets back on the ice Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And then they close out the week Thursday and Friday with the Canucks. That's going to be a four-game set, three of them in Vancouver, one in Calgary. So 
a little bit of lighter lifting coming with Vancouver coming into town because they're not playing well. But we got to deal with another game of the Winnipeg Jets. I feel like the Flames have already played nine games against the Winnipeg Jets. Michael and Gordy, thank you so much for coming on this afternoon and talking about the Flames. If you like this podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, or iTunes. Just search up Matchsticks and Gasoline, Calgary Flames, The Tinderbox. Search them all. You'll find us. Uh, make sure you like us, download us, and uh, we try to give you a podcast every week. Sometimes you get lucky twice in a week. Sometimes you get lucky. We do it every two weeks. So thank you again, guys, for joining me. And check us out next time on the Tinderbox.